The scripture reading today will be from Colossians 1, 23 through 27. And it reads, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up uh, what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship became the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known the mystery hidden for ages and generations but not revealed to his saints, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, I'm very happy to be with you today, and I'm very grateful for your presence. We're always appreciative of the wonderful singing that we have and for the wonderful prayers that are led in our behalf, and we're very grateful for the scripture reading today, Philip, and the fine way that you did that. I'm happy that I'm able to be with you. I wasn't able to be with you last week because of the bronchitis, and uh, yeah, I think all you have to do is say the word and it sends uh, fear through us, but uh, I am much better. Thank you. Thank you for the, the calls and the cards and that kind of thing, the prayers especially, while I continue to get over this particular matter, and I feel like I am. I have a little slower disposition about me than I normally would have. Carol's still sick with it, and we may have to take her back to the doctor again, but uh, I am happy to be with you. Thank you, Phil, for filling in for me while I was away. I didn't give Phil much notice. I called him on Saturday, and uh, I would never have done it unless I just absolutely had to. But he was very gracious and kind to take care of things for me, and I'm very appreciative of that. Nat is always good to help out in times like that, and I'm very appreciative of Nat and his willingness to fill in and all those who fill in while I'm away. And I plan to be with you this evening, and we've started a... Sunday night seminar series on Sunday nights, and I take a particular Bible subject or topic and we examine that, and then I prepare a handout, an outline of it, and I prepared a handout. We're talking about world religions, and I spoke a couple of weeks ago on Sunday night about modern-day Judaism and the challenge that that presents for New Testament Christianity. Now, tonight, Lord willing, I want to talk about Hinduism. And I want to talk about yoga, and I want to talk about reincarnation. And I have prepared an outline for that, and make sure you get that outline and follow along with me. And keep the outlines. we study these particular matters. Our world is a lot smaller than it ever used to be. Uh, these particular world religions are a part of our experiences now. 
uh, probably years ago we'd never thought about or heard anything about world religions like that. But now, with the advent of the Internet and television and, and experiences of people moving into our culture and our communities, we see people and meet people that are involved in this error. And I said in a moment of, in the bulletin, and, and I want to make a statement again about it this morning, and I'll do it again tonight. My purpose is not to denigrate anybody or to downplay anybody or to embarrass anyone. Uh, my purpose is to unfold what the Word of God says and to factually look in an objective way at that particular position and how the Bible meets that matter and meets that position. So please don't get the idea that I'm trying to talk somebody down or trying to argue with somebody or being unkind or unloving in any way. That's not the matter at all. But when you foist a position in the free marketplace of ideas, it becomes relevant for us to study and to consider. And that's what we're going to do tonight, Lord willing. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke on Colossians chapter 3 and personal purity in the life of the Christian and being raised up with Christ. And I thought, especially in light of the proceedings that we had yesterday and all of those uh, matters, and for those of you who were involved in that, I'm very grateful for the helping hands that you made all of that possible. It was a lovely occasion for the family. I heard many fine compliments and comments about the Broadway Church of Christ, and I'm very grateful for you and all of the help that you added and gave to that. But I thought in light of that, you and I would talk about our hope of heaven today, and I just thought I'd talk about hope for a few moments with you. And I went to Colossians chapter 1, verse 23 and 27, where the Apostle Paul is talking about his ministry. And when you're thinking about the book of Colossians, you're thinking about the preeminence of Christ and how important Christ is. And that word preeminence or supreme naturally comes to mind with regard to the thinking about Jesus. And that was foremost on Paul's mind when he wrote the book of Colossians to struggling congregation of people in the Lycus Valley who were facing error and false doctrine. And he's trying to tell them, don't give up on Jesus. And in doing that, he says, don't give up on hope. And so he discusses this matter of his hope as a Christian, as a child of God, in his work as a minister of Christ. And hope is something we need. I hope that we don't take that for granted. I hope that we come to understand just how important hope really is in our lives. And all we have to do is experience in our own life or in the lives of other people, people who have lost hope, and we see how devastating it really can become. When I think about hope and the hope the Bible provides and the hope that Christ gives, I think about families that I have come to know through the years who have lost loved ones or whose loved ones were ill in the hospital. I remember preaching in Fort Worth, the Fort Worth area, years ago. One of the elders of the congregation there was in the hospital, had been in the hospital for some time, and those men came out in those long cloaks, long coats, white coats, and he walked up to Mildred and he said, Mildred, there's no hope. And I saw that whole family just devastated, melted right into that concrete floor. I think I can see in the lives of some people and the experiences of some when they've come to the realization that there is no hope. 
There is no expectation to get better. We don't have any expectation of our health improving or our life being extended or our loved one will never recover. And we see the shoulders sag and we see the face and the eyes glass over when we realize there is no hope. It's a sad, sad situation for people to have to face that in life where there is no hope. The Bible discusses the fact that there are some which absolutely have no hope. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it's a beautiful passage of Scripture, and a lot of it talks about hope, and I am reminded of this particular passage because of what he says in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. And he's talking about those who have died. So that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. And I'm sorry to say that there are people like that out there in this world today who have no hope. And of course he's speaking in terms of spiritual hope. He's speaking in terms of eternal life with God. And for some people there's no hope simply because they will not submit themselves to the divine will of God. But for the child of God, there's hope. For the child of God, there's the hope of heaven. And that reminds me of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So he's telling me what hope really is. Colossians 1 and 5. There's hope for me laid up in heaven. Because of what I've read and what I've heard in the pages of the gospel. What I've heard in the word of God. We could go to all kinds of different lexicographers, expositors, and define the word hope. It's found for us a number of times in the pages of the Bible. But the best way to understand a Bible word is to see what the Bible says about it itself. And when you look at what the Bible says about hope, it's telling us, that we have a confident expectation to receive. We haven't received it as yet, but we're confident that we will. Peter talks about it, the definition of it, 1 Peter chapter 1. And in verse 3 and verse 4, he makes this statement, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy hath caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now this Bible writer is telling me that I have hope. I have this confident expectation to receive that. If I've been obedient to the will of God and followed the teaching of Christ, submitted to the terms of the gospel, I have hope for obtaining eternal life. That hope is reserved in heaven for me. It's waiting for me. And I have confident expectation to receive it. And the child of God lives with hope, even though there's suffering all around him. And even though there's dying of loved ones and passing from this life, from those who are near and dear to us, the child of God has confident hope. Now this hope is not the kind of hope which, I don't know whether I'll receive this or not kind of hope. But it's the kind of hope that the Bible says you're going to receive it. You can expect it. It's coming your way. If you're faithful to the Word of God 
remain faithful to him and to his teaching. I think if we looked for a moment at the life of some of these great Bible worthies, we would soon see what a confident hope really looks like. Turn with me to the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 23. In Acts chapter 23, you see something of the life of the Apostle Paul and what a challenging life it was in this portion of his life. He's gone to the city of Jerusalem with a collection for suffering saints in Judea. There's he, he does, he's arrested. And I'm sure that he probably is questioning in his mind what's going on here, how's God going to handle this. But I don't ever see him losing hope. He probably doesn't understand exactly how God is going to take this matter, how God's going to handle it, but he knows God will. And I suppose we're that way. We don't always know how things are going to work out, but we know that they will. Now the chapter that I turn to in Acts chapter 23 is a chapter where Paul's before the Sanhedrin. And it's a trying time. I don't know if we really appreciate how difficult this matter is. Paul, looking intently at the council, verse 1, said, Brethren, I've lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. I wonder how many of us can say that. I never violated my conscience in this particular matter. The God-given faculty which God has given me, which urges me to do what I think is right. Now, the conscience is not a guide as to what is right. The Bible will guide us in what is right. But the conscience is the faculty that urges me to do what I think is right. And I'll educate my conscience according to the Bible. Now study the Word of God and my conscience will be better trained that way. Paul said, I never violated my conscience before God. Even though he was doing some bad things in his life against God, he thought he was doing the right thing. He makes a remarkable statement. And the passage for us is Acts 23 and verse 1. He sees, though, that he's not going to receive a fair hearing in a group of men like this. And so he makes this particular statement for us in verse 6. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I'm on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Now he used this as an opportunity for his position to be heard and there in turn for him to continue to do the will of God. I'll read verse 11 in a minute. But there's a point there that needs to be remembered. That he was there standing for the hope and the resurrection of God's people. Now these Pharisees believed in that. Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in the hope of the resurrection. They believed in angels. They believed in spirits. But the Sadducees didn't believe in either one of them. The Sadducees were the religious liberals of their day. And they'd compromised with the Greek culture. The Greeks did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. And so the Sadducees, Jewish, liberal-minded people, decided we will compromise with them and be more like the Greeks. And we will give up on this idea of the resurrection. But Paul said, I'm here because of the hope of Israel and the resurrection of the dead. The New Testament Israel of God has hope. Just as Paul stood in uh, the council for the people of God, we know that we have hope today. Notice what we see in verse 11 of this particular passage. But on the night immediately following, 
the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. I'm sure at this point Paul's wondering, how's God going to work this out? I want to go to Rome. I don't know how God's going to work this out. Here I am arrested because I've been doing the will of God. I've been working for the churches and the congregations of the Lord. And I'm arrested and I'm brought before this very prejudicial uh, judicial body. And now I'm in prison. I'm in jail. How can I do that? Now if I get out, they'll kill me. If I stay here, I can't accomplish the work that I want to work. I want to do. I want to go to Rome. I want to carry the gospel west. But how can I do this? God appears to him. says, don't worry about this. I'm going to take care of this for you. You've been a faithful witness. And I'm going to see that you go to Rome as well to carry the gospel. He didn't tell him how he was going to do this. He just said that he was going to do it. He had hope, a confident expectation to receive the promise which God had provided. Now there's a word for us, providence. It's not often used in the pages of the Bible. The word provide is used over and over again. How would God provide? God would set aside the natural order of things and the natural law which has been implemented by his divine hand and work directly in a matter. We'd call that a miracle. God, on the other hand, could use those natural laws and work those things out so much so that it would work out as God would have them to work themselves out. We refer to that as providence. In Acts chapter 24, we'll continue the story of the Apostle Paul. How's God going to work this particular matter out? Providence is a word, a Latin term, which means foresight. It means looking out ahead. We as humans do that all the time. We look out ahead of things. We look out toward things as to how they're going to work out ahead of time. I'm very happy to know that God does that too that God knows ahead of time what's going to happen and how he's going to work these particular matters out. Well, now Paul's in Rome, Acts chapter 24. It just so happens, by happenstance, that a Roman commander takes Paul out of this very prejudicial proceeding and saves him. And he tells his men, go down there and get him out of there. They were about to tear him to pieces and take him by force if you have to. It just so happens that Paul escapes this particular matter, and because he is a Roman citizen, he escapes the matter of scourging and the beating. It just so happens that Paul faces a very conscientious Roman official who respects Paul's right as a Roman citizen. It just so happens that Paul's nephew is there and overhears of a plot whereby to destroy the Apostle Paul, where 40 of these Jewish men said, we will not eat anything until we see that he's dead. Now you go and tell them, bring him back so that we can examine him more fully, and then when they bring him back, we're going to pounce on him and we're going to kill him. It just so happens that this nephew goes and tells this Roman official about the matter, and this Roman official takes control of the situation and saves Paul's life and carrying him on to Caesarea. Are we going to say that all of this was just by happenstance? That all of this just happened by luck? Are we going to say 
that all of these particular matters transpired simply by the way of unfolding haphazardly without any kind of thought or determination. Obviously not. Paul had hope of going to Rome. And God said, I'm going to send you to Rome. And God worked those facts out providentially so that he could go to Rome. Paul didn't know how he's going to work these particular matters out, but he did. It was Augustine who said, trust the past to the mercy of God, the present to his love, and the future to his providence. Now, Augustine is not an inspired writer, but I think he had some insightful understanding with regard to how we should conduct our matter with regard to this message of Christian hope. You know what Hebrew is? Hebrew is an ancient Semitic language. It is an Eastern language. It has its own unique way of saying and doing things. Hebrew does not have any vowels. Vowels were added to Hebrew years later to help people read Hebrew and understand it and pronounce it. Modern-day Hebrew does not have any vowels. If you go to Israel today, you will read Hebrew, but it will all be consonants. It will be pronounced as if it had vowels, but there are no vowels in the text. It reads from right to left. So when you open up your Hebrew Bible, you open it up in the back and you start with the book of Genesis back here. You don't open up your Bible like we do, an English Bible that's based on Latin. There in turn, we open it up from left to right. But a Hebrew Bible reads from right to left, reads backwards. And that's why providence is. You start looking at your life backwards. You start reading from right to left. And you start looking at your life where it was and where it is. And you look at what happened back there. And then you look at what happened back over there. And then you think, notice how God worked that out in my life over here. And you're reading from right to left. And you're beginning to see how God does work in our life. As Paul experienced that in Acts chapter 23 and Acts chapter 24. In the book of Proverbs, book of Psalms, you have a couple of wonderful Psalms that teach us that. And I wanted to present that to you. The first one's found in Psalm 23. In this particular Psalm, both these Psalms have basically the same thought in their, in their mind. And that is how that God is taking control and care of our lives by providing in his wonderful way. The Lord is my shepherd, verse 23 tells us, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In other words, verse 1 and 2 is very clear. God is providing for me. God, in his own providential way, cares for me. That's reading life backwards. You start from where I am, and then you look back upon my life, and you can see how God has cared for my life. What I'm beginning to see here is how closely related hope and providence really are. Now let me, as I mentioned, notice with you Psalm 27. And uh, I'll work my way up to Psalm 71 because that's another psalm that I want to mention for you today to help me see this important lesson. And I think I'll just read verse 14 of Psalm 27 where he says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, 
and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. The writer of the psalmist there, the psalm, is trying to tell us how important it is that God is working in our lives, and we should come to understand that. I don't know if what all that uh, Paul realized about God working in his life, but we know that he did because of reading these chapters from the book of Acts. Now in Psalm 71, the verse that I have in mind is verse 5. But if you'll notice this whole section of Scripture, David is talking about the fact that God is ruling in his life and providing for him and caring for him. Let me read verse 5 for you. For you are my hope, O Lord God. You are my confidence from my youth. By you I have been sustained from my youth and birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Now we could spend our time talking about this great psalm, and I think it would be well worth our time, especially when you think about in verses 1 through 8, he's talking about the fact that God rescued him from the hands of evil men. And we could go back and look at the life of David and see how that literally happened, how that God cared for him in such a wonderful way. He said, I've got hope because what you have done. That's reading life backwards from right to left. I see where I am, and I see what God has done. I see how you took care of me here, and you took care of me there. And therefore, I have hope. When God said, you're going to have this eternal home, which waits all who are faithful and obedient and are righteous and are living the justified righteous life, then I know with confident expectation that I can receive that home which God has prepared for me. In Matthew chapter 25 in the New Testament, I have a statement there that I've thought a lot about, and I'm sure you're very familiar with it as well. And in this particular passage, he talks about those who have this opportunity and that opportunity, and how they've some used the opportunities and the talents which God gave them, and some failed to use the talents which God had provided. The talent that's being referred to in this parable are sums of money. Certain sums of money was given to this one, and because of his ability, God gave him a certain amount, and because of this one's ability, God gave him another amount. But I think the passage that really stands out for me in this parable, and one which really gives me hope, one that I want to experience myself as the one found in verse 21. And when the master comes back to give accounting of the talents which is given to each of these servants according to their several abilities, one brought five more. He was given two and he's given three and isn't given more. And then there's one who, gave, who was given one talent, but he didn't use that talent properly. But the statement that I'm referring to in verse 21 says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I think we ought to mark that in the pages of our Bible. For that particular passage is saying we have hope. We have hope of receiving eternal life and the reward which God has in store for all those who are faithful and obedient to Him. The Bible passage that I'm thinking about is Matthew chapter 25 and the verses verse 21. Now I'm thinking of 1 John chapter 5. 
And in 1 John chapter 5, I have another Bible passage about hope, one which really is a message of confidence. Now, this one in Matthew 25 we just read was a message of commendation. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. But this message that I'm reading in 1 chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14, is a message of confidence. And I, I think that certainly is a part of the hope of heaven that we should have. It is a confident hope. <clears throat> Notice how he says it. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. In other words, we're asking, and God in turn hears, and he provides as we need in his good way. But I suppose of all these passages that I could pick up from the pages of the Bible that are teaching me about hope and providence and eternity, I think this Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 would have to top the list. And I'd like to spend just a brief moment reading it and making comment about Romans 8:28. Now it comes in a chapter that talks about the fact that I no longer live under the Old Testament law. And he spent a very hard-hitting seventh chapter making that point clear. But now he comes to chapter 8. And you might ask, well, is there anything to help me in living the Christian life now? I'm not under the Old Testament law, chapter 7. What am I under? Well, I'm under the law of the Spirit of Christ, Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And I'm under the New Testament law. Now, Romans chapter 8 is telling me that as a Christian, I have help in living the Christian life. And it comes to this verse 28, which is germane to our point about hope and confidence and God providing for us. In verse 28, he says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, the point comes to mind. I don't know how Paul was making his way, working his way through difficulty with his own brethren, facing that counsel that was very prejudicial against him, a mob that wants to destroy him and take his life, God providing and conscientious official <coughs> there to help him through the difficulty and the way. I don't know what was going on in his mind, but I have an idea. As he wrote Romans 8 and 28 by God the Holy Spirit, that all things are going to work out. I don't know how they're going to work out, but all things work together for good to them who love God. Now this wonderful passage of Scripture needs to be kept in its context. The context of this particular chapter is God has worked this matter out over the ages. And so I don't think that Paul in Romans 8 and 28 is limiting himself to how God works out my life in the present. But he's also including how God has worked out this for my life throughout the ages. How that long ago, the man needed a Savior, and God provided that need. And for all through the ages through great kings of the Old Testament and prophets of the Old Testament and priests who would lead the people in righteousness. Sometimes they would fall away and be unfaithful and forget the Word of God. God's working all this out. God's working all this out for my good. But I don't want to divorce that from the fact that I live day by day in the presence of the grace and the mercy of God. And I don't know how these particular matters are going to resolve themselves. No more than Paul knew how God was going to handle that situation in Acts 23 and Acts 24. 
I don't know how this thing's going to work out. I don't know how God's going to handle this matter. But I know this, that even in my everyday walk of life, I have hope and I have confidence because I know God's going to work all things out for my good. I know that I have him on my side and therefore I have a confident expectation to receive his blessings. I read the passage again. And we know, that word know is gnosko. That means I can be certain of the matter. And we know that God, that refers to the ultimate being of this world and the universe. God the Father, God the creator of heaven and earth, and the Father and creator of my soul. For we know that God causes, he brings these things about for his good will and his good pleasure and for my benefit. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Now, a lot of times I don't understand that. A lot of times I can't see the good in that or I can't see the purpose in this. But I know that God does. God can see all these things and they're working themselves out by his divine providence his care and direction for me. What a great passage. When I look and understand more about the difficulties of life and the providential care that God has concerned for me, I have hope, a confident expectation to receive what God has given that promise of eternal life. <laughs> Has the church lost hope? Have we forgotten about God's hope? Have we forgotten about the fact that God loves us and cares for us and going to see us through it, no matter what the problem might be? Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 14, at the conclusion of that great book of the Bible, what a great book Hebrews is. The Hebrew writer made this statement in verse 14, For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Hebrews 13, 14. Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten that there's a better place reserved for us who are faithful and obedient to the will of God? Or have we somehow decided <coughs> this world is permanent? And that I got a permanent tendency with regard to this world. Maybe we've forgotten the responsibility that we should have. That Jesus came to reconcile men to God. Not to reconcile man to man. Not to make this old world a better place for everybody to live. But he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Do our actions suggest that we have forgotten the fact that God has given this wonderful hope and provided it for us. Now, this is the point in the sermon where I was going to speak about certain specific matters with regard to the fact of hope, and I just don't feel like we have the time to enter into that. What I wanted to do is to look at hope in the resurrection. And these Bible passages connect and hook these matters up together. We have hope of eternal life because of the resurrection of Christ. And I have hope of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Some had forgotten that. 
Have we forgotten that we're going to be raised from the dead by the power of God one great day? That we've got to be ready for that? Through repentance of sin, confession of faith, baptism into Christ for the remission of sins, there in turn prepare our lives, added to the church of the Lord, prepare our lives for eternity. Have we forgotten the need? Or have we become so this world oriented? We forgot about the hope that God has provided through the scripture. Children of God have hope of heaven. And just as Paul wondered, how is this going to work out? So sometimes we think, how in the world is this going to work out? But I know it's for my good. For all things work together for good for them who love Jesus. Love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, verse 28. You need to be a faithful child of God so that you can have hope. And when Paul wrote in that passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, there are some who have no hope. Don't be in that category. Wouldn't that be so sad? So sad that I wake up in the middle of the night And as dark as it is outside, and there think to myself, I have no hope. No hope. There are people out there like that. And you don't have to be one of them. By your obedience to the gospel of Christ, and by your faithful living of the word of God, you have hope. Hope of a life beyond this one. Hope of eternal life. Do not give up hope. But by your faithful obedience to the word of God and the living of it day by day, you one day will receive that commendation. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of thy Lord. What a wonderful hope. Won't you come and take part of it by becoming a Christian now? Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?